Well, friends, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 28, the end of Matthew's gospel, probably the most well-known passage in thinking about uh, several things, but uh, most uh, particularly and, and pertinent to our time together tonight, missions, thinking about the topic uh, the call of missions. Uh, over the next four weeks, we're going to be thinking about uh, what missions is and uh, what is the purpose in missions and, and, and where do missionaries come from and, and what does it look like for our church to be a part of the gospel going to the nations. And you see there on the back of your bulletin tonight, those talks outlined, uh, what do we mean by missions? So where do missionaries come from? Where do missionaries go? And what does God expect us to do? Now, in getting us to think about these things more, let me ask you a question. Because uh, many of us have come from uh, churches and backgrounds that had really, really awesome ministries in taking gospel to the nations, have been a part of different organizations uh, and ministries that have set out to preach and proclaim the gospel. And so let me ask you this question as it relates to us as the little local body that we are. What do you think? It would look like for our church to be totally captivated by heart for seeing the good news of Jesus Christ spread to every place in the world. What would it look like for our church to be totally captivated by heart for seeing the good news of Jesus Christ spread and go and be taken to every place in the world? That's, that's kind of the big picture of where I want us to go over the next four weeks in answering some of these smaller questions. And so in this, in each of these series of talks that we've done throughout this year, I've, I've kind of laid out some aims for them. So let me give you the three aims, and I'll kind of give you a big fourth one at the end. Uh, but the first aim is to help us have a biblical understanding of what God wants us to do in relationship to the globe, to the nations, to the, the ethnos to the peoples around the world. What does God want us to do according to his word? The second aim is to help us grow a hunger, a hunger specifically for seeing discipleship in our church as missions preparation, to see discipling in our local body here as missions preparation. And then number three, to raise up, to equip, to send out and support Christians for God's kingdom expansion around the globe. And this is kind of a long-term aim, isn't it? To be able to raise up and to equip and send out and support. This is not something you just decide to do tomorrow, though we want to move in that direction tomorrow, but it's something that really takes years and years, which leads really to my fourth aim, which is one you guys already know that I brought up back at our members' meeting last November, and that is for us to have 50% of our budget go towards mission in the next 25 years. So that's kind of my big aim. Uh, I'll, I'll represent that here to you all because I, I consider it and think about it all the time. But I would love 25 years from now to see our church's budget be 50% given away uh, to seeing the gospel go. So what is missions then? What is missions? Well, tonight I'm going to lay out six things, six statements that, that, that kind of summarize what missions is according to the Bible, specifically according to this text here in Matthew 28. But let me give you a short definition from Craig Shepherd, who is an assistant professor at RTS of missions. This is what Craig Shepherd says, Dr. Shepherd. He says, missions is the plan and act of God for redeeming and making disciples from every tongue, tribe, and nation by sending his people to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, showing them the gracious, redeeming love of a glorious God 
and to organize them into biblical worshiping churches. That is a compound definition, and we're going to break that down over the next four weeks and tease some of those things out. But I want to start tonight by laying the groundwork of what missions is and move to uh, specific outworkings over the next three talks. So let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. What we know is the great commission. This is what Jesus says there, his final words to his disciples in Matthew's gospel at least. Uh, we have more of what Christ says in the book of Acts, but this is how Matthew closes out his gospel. It says there in verse 18 of Matthew 28, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage is familiar to most of us. But what do we find here as it relates to missions? Six things I want to draw out here. Number one, missions is established by Jesus. You could expand this to missions is established by the triune God. Of course, by all means, that is true. But we specifically see here Jesus speaking these words. He begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We see here that missions is established, that it is orchestrated, that it is put together, shaped and molded by Jesus himself. He is the authority in the expansion of his kingdom. Or to put it simply, he's the king. And so he expands his kingdom as he sees fit. Jesus is the one, as he says in Matthew 16, who establishes his church. And if missions is finally seeing new churches raised up and worshiping, then missions itself is fundamentally a work of God in calling people to himself. This is the aim, the goal of missions, is seeing God work in calling people to himself. So he has the one who has planned the spreading of the gospel to the whole world. He has made this plan from eternity past. And in his sovereign timing is bringing this great commission to completion in these days. We see this laid out throughout the Bible, not just here. I mean, think about Ephesians 1. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What we see here at its very foundation is that God is the one who is orchestrating the events of the world, most particularly missions here. Or, or think even of 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. This is missions language. Nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul here is making a, a massive assumption that Matthew 28 gives us an understanding of. It is that, that Jesus, in his great work of salvation, is the one who is bringing his sheep to himself. This is what missions is about. And so we see from the garden 
And throughout the Old Testament and into the New Covenant, that the mission of God has always been to redeem a people for His name, for His glory. Because this is God's mission, then it gives us great freedom in our purpose, in our methods. That that we don't have to come up with new ideas and new concepts for missions. We don't have to come up with new ideas and concepts for evangelism. We can simply rely on the Word of God because it is God who is doing the work. It is God who is orchestrating So in the end, our chief aim should be to align with God's word when it comes to all things, but even so, missions. Number two, then, missions is enabled by the Spirit. Not only does God plan missions, not only does God plan works of redemption throughout the nations, but it gives its true center in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the gospel here in a minute. But we see, finally, that he accomplishes it through the Holy Spirit. The Father plans. The Son is, is, is the news, the good news that is proclaimed, but it is the Spirit who enables and who equips and who brings those who are dead in their sins to be alive in Christ. It's just as the Spirit led Christ in His ministry, so the Spirit leads the church. Now, we've discussed Acts as a template, that, that, that extraordinary things happen in the book of Acts, and, and we shouldn't necessarily expect life as a local church to look just like it did in the book of Acts. We, we have the epistles that help us shape the life of the local church, but there is something in Acts that we learn greatly about how the Spirit is the one who is leading, who is guiding, who is sustaining, and who is equipping. We find that the Spirit gifts the church in every age, in order that it may accomplish the mission of making disciples in that time, in that place. This is what the spiritual gifts are about. They're not just given to to build the church, but but to create and, and to grow and to expand the very kingdom of God. There are many different views on the spiritual gifts, and, and as a church we don't force one position, but we can all at least agree about this. That they come from the Spirit Himself. That they are not gifts that we have mustered up or we've suddenly exercised or, or talented ourselves into being. But they are spiritual gifts because they come from the Holy Spirit. It is His enabling that causes missions to go. We see that the Spirit leads and guides and directs in our efforts to reach the nations. Friends, what does this do? Well, it motivates us to great prayer. Great prayer, pleading with the Spirit to move. Now, some of us who came from, uh, shall we say, less charismatic churches may find it uh, new to pray to the Holy Spirit. Of course, we pray to the Father, and, and yes, we pray to the Son, but do you pray and ask the Spirit to move, to equip you, to equip others, so that they may go to the nations and make disciples? Number three, then, missions is accomplished by the church. It says here, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. How do we do this? Where do we do this? Who is it that does this? We see that God's plan then has always been, as I mentioned a second ago, to redeem a people, to call the nations to faith in Christ and to disciple all who respond. So in other words, in the power of the Spirit, we as the church... As God's redeemed people today serve as instruments in his hands in holding forth justification and holding forth and laboring toward sanctification 
This is what we aim for in missions. Not just to see people converted, but to see people discipled and grown and taught into maturity. This also means that missions is not primarily the job of individuals, but it is the job of churches to raise up, to equip and send out and support. And as thankful as I am for seminaries and Bible colleges and curriculums and books, all of those things have been established over time and in many places because of local churches. We have to understand that God's ordained means for reaching the nations is the local church. This is what we see in the book of Acts. This is what we see and we're called to in the epistles. And this is what we see really throughout church history. See, the great tragedy of missions over the last 100 years has been really a lack, I believe, of fellowship and support among churches around the world and helping one another and serving one another and equipping one another. No longer are we in days where one church has financial means and another church has warm bodies who are willing to go. And so those two churches partner together. We find much more it is turf wars and divisions and we do this thing and we do that thing. But we see the call of Scripture is that churches working together often, but local churches are called to accomplish missions. We do not believe that missions can be accomplished by lone ranger Christians. We do not believe that missions can, can come to its fulfillment, that we can continue to fulfill the call of Christ unless we have a direct vision and goal for missions as a church. That's why we're doing these talks. That's why we're praying the way that we are. It's because we want to know what we're doing. We want you to know what we're doing. All right, number four. Number four, then, missions is achieved through the gospel. Through the gospel. I find it interesting how Jesus ends his words there in Matthew 28. It is a gospel reality in and of itself. It, it preaches the gospel even in his words that, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why? How is it that Jesus is with them? You realize the, the goodness of this statement Jesus is with them because he has purchased them with his own blood. Jesus is with them because he did not remain in the tomb, but arose again. And Jesus is with them because he is no longer going to stay by their side, but he is ascending to the Father. This is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus, even in his ascension, has made a way that he is now with us all, that we can all call out to him, that we all don't have to go to some random mountain somewhere to find our Savior, but that he is in the heavens where he is interceding for us and we can all call on him. And so we find that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, what he will do, is what makes missions a success. In the proclaiming of that gospel. This is the aim. This is the goal. That the gospel would be preached. That the gospel would be taught. That the gospel would be explained and applied. See, not only does Jesus establish churches. But he, in establishing churches, is establishing and overseeing the work of missions around the world. And even more than this, he is the fuel. He is the very center of what it is that they proclaim. This means that missions, quote unquote missions, 
that are devoid of the word being proclaimed and explained are not true missions in a biblical sense. This doesn't mean it's, not, it's wrong, it's wrong to, to go into other places and serve and to love and to care for people. But true biblical missions is word-centered. It is, is gospel-proclaiming-centered. Missions is in so many ways founded and built and shaped by gospel proclamation. It is the center. This means that our definition of missions has the goal of seeing those who were once far off from God brought into his family through belief and through repentance and the reclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, this can certainly take many different forms. This can take the form of street evangelism. This can take the form of open air preaching. This can take the form of of owning and operating a business wherein you share the gospel with those who come into your business. Of course, But the proclamation of the gospel is still the center. We understand that success may vary in the life of missionaries and and missions efforts. But the heart of those who are sending and those who are going is to give their lives to tell others about the salvation that is found in Christ and Christ alone. If this is not the heartbeat of our going, then we will falter and we will fail and we will stumble under the great load Of what we do. Which brings us to number five. Missions is fulfilled. In gathering the nations. The scope of God's design. Has always been to include the nations. We find this in the Old Testament. It's established there. Even in the first covenant that we find. That that really draws it out. That being the covenant with Abraham. where, Where the nations are already in view. That the nations would be blessed. By the seed of Abraham. And then we finally find it in its great consummation there in Revelation 22. When we have a kingdom that is full of the nations. And so from Genesis to Revelation. God's revealed heart is for the world. This is what John means in his gospel and his letters. When he talks about Christ dying for the world. He means for the nations. It is the very heart of God. This is what Luke means In Acts, when he is talking about them going to the ethnos, to the ethnicities. This is what Paul means in Ephesians when he says that in the place of two, Jew and Gentile, there's now one new man. That the great work of redemption is not just in one geopolitical people group, but it is in gathering the nations. Just think of what the Father says to the Son in Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 49, 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's too light a thing. I want more, the Father says to the Son. And so he says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. If you're looking for something to pump you up toward missions, there's a verse to commit to memory. This means, and our emphasis is simply on local and home missions, that it's vastly incomplete. We do care about local home missions. We do care about local outreach. We do care about reaching our neighbors. But if we stop there, we have missed God's heart. This also means that the desire is to not just gather the nations in eternity. 
but to see them gathered now in local churches. This is why Matthew 28 mentions baptism here and this idea of discipling and teaching. What is God's ordained means for those three things to happen? Baptism, discipling, teaching. It is the local church. That God's desire is to not just see a bunch of Christians from all the nations, but to see churches raised up. Little outposts, kingdom embassies in the nations. Most often then, what is missed in our individualized missions culture, Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be displayed. We miss this often today. In other words, Christ's purpose and our proper goal for missions is not simply to make converts, but to make disciples. And not just disciples, but disciples locally gathered into faithful churches where they are instructed and spiritually watched over by pastors and the rest of the flock. Which may not be very big in certain places, but gathering together nonetheless. Which brings us then to the final goal for missions, or what missions is. Missions finally is about God's glory. The end game of all missions All efforts, big and small, whether you're supporting or you're going, whether you're praying or you're preaching, is to glorify God. Whether we find success or failure, whether we find a life or death, the aim of churches ought to be to display that God is so majestic that we can't help but go. That God is so good and kind and powerful. I'm looking forward to walking through the attributes of God over the summer and the rest of this year. But here's a prayer request. God, would you use your attributes to help make us more missions minded, missions oriented, that we would know who God is so much so that we could not help but speak about it near and far. Missions then going to the nations is God glorifying when God is the reason for all we do. And the one on whom we depend for everything we need. God is glorified when when we rely on him and we rely on his word. And not man-made mechanism for reaching others. So we go to bring him glory. So what does it mean when you hold all of these things together then? All six of them. And we could talk about all six. We could do an entire talk on each of these. I realize that. What does it all mean when they're held together though? That in missions, we ought to focus on three things. So if I guess three focus in missions, it's evangelism, discipleship, and church membership. You're like, well, come on now. That's not very, doesn't feel very, boom. No, and that's right. Simple. Simple, but it brings God the glory that we would preach the gospel, that we would train and we teach Disciple, that we would gather together. This is what we want to see in our own church. This is what we want to see for the nations. Each of these things are pathways for us to declare the good news and see God glorified. Let me close, close then with a quote from a missionary. It says this, May we all faithfully participate in the Lord's plan by boldly inviting the lost to faith and the saved to lifelong discipleship in the body of Christ. And may we guard against an alluring yet ultimately watered-down version of missions in which bankrupt souls depart from our presence with renovated buildings, repaired limbs, and perfect accents. 
but having never heard the words of life. Let me pray for us. Father, we do ask, we pray, that you would give us a heart for the nations, that you would grow the one that we already have, that you would provide, that you would prepare, that you would raise up, that you would equip, and you would do the work. God, we look to you, we trust you, we trust your word. God, we long to glorify you in this call. So Lord, would you do the work that only you can in our hearts and our minds, in our hands and our very feet. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.